Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we welcome back Dr. Nadine Hamilton to talk about positive psychology for veterinarians in part two of our special two-part series. Dr. Nadine Hamilton is a psychologist who has completed doctoral research into veterinarian well-being in 2016. She is the founder of Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet, an organisation that aims to raise awareness about the mental health issues within the veterinary industry. She has written a best-selling book, Coping with Stress and Burnout as a Veterinarian, and has been instrumental in leading a paradigm shift within the industry. Nadine is also passionate about interior design and feng shui and has qualifications in angel therapy, spiritual intuitive healing and animal reiki. This interview may contain triggering information, so please listen at your own discretion and if you do feel like you need support, please reach out to Lifeline or Beyond Blue. Welcome back to the Pure Animal Podcast, Nadine. It is so great to have you on here again today. And I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about some more practical tips that we can share with listeners about some um, sort of daily well-being practices, self-care, and some of the positive psychology work that you're doing that you'd like to share with us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. It's great to be back and um, be able to talk about this really important issue yeah. and hopefully make, make a positive change. Yeah, absolutely. So before we go into some of the, um, you know, the self-care practices and the positive psychology work that you do offer, what are some of the main uh, mental health issues that you are seeing sort of being diagnosed in today's vets and vet nurses? Um, I would say particularly um, during COVID and, well, I know we're not, completely clear of COVID. Um, it's sort of like, you know, this post-COVID come down, sort of the stage yeah. that we're in now where we're relatively getting back to some kind of normality, give or take a few, you know, different yes. things. Yep. Um, I would probably say the the number one thing at the moment is the increase in levels of stress yep. um, that are coming through and also burnout. So, okay. I mean, last year when sort of COVID hit Australia, you know, in its biggest form and, you know, there were lockdowns and social isolations and curbside visits. Um, yeah. You know, what I was seeing in the and hearing from the clinics is, you know, yes, it was exhausting because there was more demands and you're having to make phone calls and you're in and out, you know, going to the car and yeah. um, pardon me, all those kind of places. Yeah. Um, yeah, which um, I think for a lot of people that was stressful, not having their teams um, working together yeah. because they were doing split shifts, I think that was really hard. I know there were some clinics that did quite like um, having it because they didn't have to have the, the face-to-face interaction, yeah. which, you know, could be difficult for a lot of people. So I think, you know, there, there were some, there were a few benefits there, um, but I think from the workload and isolating from the rest of the team was quite hard. Yeah. Um, but then there's, like, it's dragged on. They, you know, typically you think, you know, many of us, I guess obviously not in the um, – medical or in the vet profession, that, you know, when, when we head towards Christmas and New Year, that's the time where a lot of us, we take our holidays, we have time off, we, you know, reset ourselves. But that didn't really happen for the vet profession because, no. you know, once we're hitting into, you know, November, December, December, we're in, you know, tick season, trauma yep. season, you know, with wildlife that 
it just ramped up even more and it hasn't seemed to stop. Um, You know, and so there's just, there's all these extra demands on people. And I think, you know, a lot of the customers and the clients coming in are probably less understanding because there's more frustration about, well, I can't just go here. I can't just do this. I can't just do that. So I think it's sort of a mixed bag, but I would definitely say that stress um, and to some point burnout, you know, starting to kick in for for some of them. Yeah, sure. And I know that there's some a statistic that I read recently that something around 30% or more increase over the last 12 months of Australian households that now have a new pet. But there's yes. there's not that increase in vets to care and nurses to care for those pets. Yes. So yes. they're just, you know, everyone is just so busy and so overwhelmed and I'm sure that is one of the major contributing factors to the increase in stress that yes. is happening. Um, just, you and know, no one can catch a break. And, yes. Yeah. And, and I think to add to that, you know, particularly in lockdowns with vets being an essential service, yeah. it was an excuse for people to leave the house. Oh, and so it's right, like, oh, yeah. okay, there's nothing actually really wrong with my dog, but <sighs> I'll, I might just take it to the vet just to make sure um, because I really need to get out of the house. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was having an impact as well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as you said, you know, the incidence of pet ownership that went up during COVID, I know that there were a lot of shelters that sort of said they had no animals left I know, in the shelter. They which is great adopted. for the animals, um, hopefully, exactly. if it's, you know, if it's a yes. long-term thing. Um, yes. And also I've heard that, um, so many more people were just at home all the time with their pets, so they started to notice things that they were yes. a little bit concerned about, and then they would take them down to the vet, and rightly yes. so if they've noticed, and you know, a mental Absolutely. health issue in their pet, or they've noticed all of a sudden, oh, they don't really seem themselves, and they might not notice that usually if they're at work. Yeah, so yeah, and having the mm. time to do it. As yeah, well. exactly. You know, you said if they're at, if they're at work. Um, you know, sort of most people would rely on having to go to an after-hours clinic if there's one in the area, Um, you know, for the daily clinics to close. So I think all of those things, yeah, definitely had had a big um, build-up on the demands of an already demanding job. Very demanding, (laughs) yeah. I think it just, yeah, definitely exacerbated things. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so stress and burnout. So Let's start talking about stress. Um, So stress management was taught to us at university, but very early on, and I don't think we really went too deep into it. And obviously it's, you know, it's difficult because there's so many other things that you need to learn as a vet student. So how would you recommend uh, our busy, stressed out vets and vet nurses manage their stress in such a difficult environment? You know, if they've got back-to-back consults all day mm-hmm. what are they going to do about that they can't sort of just step out very easily how are they going and to just, manage that yeah. absolutely and I think you know using the whole concept of self-care yeah. um, which is another fluffy word that's out there but it is so so important you know we have to look after ourselves first it's like you know when you're going on an aircraft yeah. and they say you know fit your own oxygen mask first yeah. um, we have to be that like how can we be giving our best to, you know, the the people that we're working with or working for if 
we're not at our best ourselves, you know. So it's so important to be looking after ourselves. And through self-care, I don't just mean, you know, going and doing yoga or meditation, which absolutely are a great form of self-care, um, but there is so much more to it. You know, it's having boundaries, you know, being able to say no. And if you mean no, then say no. Mm. Um, don't say yes when you really mean no. Yeah. Um that's you know, so hard, isn't being, it, for some people who are such people pleasers and so critical on themselves. It's so hard to keep that boundary sometimes and say no. Absolutely. And, and then you can sort of look deeper into that, which obviously is sort of what I do as a psychologist and go, okay, why is that so hard? Um, you know, because you can ask yourself, you know, if you're the person that finds it hard to speak up and say no or have boundaries, it's like, okay, but what is that really saying about me, mm. um, you know, as a person? What does that say about me? You know, and that's where you can start tapping into some of those core beliefs that may not be that helpful, them, yeah. um, you know, to look at that. But self-care also, you know, as far as, you know, having really good nutrition mm. and, you know, if you're on the fly and you're just, you know, working and grabbing whatever snacks you can during the day or during the night if you're working shift work um, and you're not having time to process your meals and digest your meals properly or eat nutritionally, think about what effect that that's having on the body. Um, you know, the bulk of our feel-good um, hormones, our serotonin and our dopamine are formed in the gut. And if our gut isn't healthy, it can't send the messages and those neurotransmitters to the brain for the brain to go, oh, yes, I'm happy. I need to do more of the same. Um, so when that gut-brain connection isn't working, properly it's like our gut's not healthy our mental health tends not to yeah. be healthy yep. you know but when we're really being mindful around you know particular foods you know there's even foods now that they're saying um are having a negative impact um you know different foods there's some research in nutritional psychiatry around the connection with poor nutrition and the link to depression um right, which is yeah. just mind-blowing that who would have thought what you're eating could be affecting your mental state yeah but it well is it affects so everything doesn't it I mean relevant made of oh, what you're it eating is, it is and I kind of find it reassuring to think you know what if you're feeling yeah. anxious or stressed or depressed it might not be something in your head yeah it yeah. could just be your diet like how, how less stigmatizing is that yeah um you know so there's a lot of stuff there you know and that's something that I'm I'm researching and working on myself because I just think it is such a missing link to what yeah. is going on. And it's and um, it's quite an easy, accessible, I mean, you eat multiple times every day, well, hopefully. Absolutely, <laughs> um, yes. yes. <laughs> and I know that it's, you know, it is ch changing someone's behaviour and food can be a reward and it can be yes. a pick-me-up and there's, you know, there's a whole emotional aspect to it. But if you have to eat anyway, if you can change mm. some of your choices to eating things which actually benefit your mental well-being, then that's that's a relatively easy way that you can care it's for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. It's it's fueling your body, um, you know, and giving it the nutrition that it needs because there could be mineral deficiencies going mm. on as well, you know, if your body's not getting all the minerals that it yeah. needs, um, you know, and all the nutrients that it needs from your food. And it's something um, a, a very good friend and colleague of mine is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. Oh, I love that. I have to put my teeth in to say that or FDN <laughs> yep. for short. 
um, in the US and um, Dory, and we actually recorded last year, it's on the Love Your Pet website um, in the webinars, it's completely free, so this isn't a sales pitch. Um, there's a webinar there where we talk about the food mood connection, oh, um, you know, and this is done by, you know, a qualified nutritionist, I just think she is the bee's knees. Um, and we also did another one, some um, the vet professionals here in Australia probably know Audra Starkey, who's another good friend of mine, who's a clinical nutritionist, and her area of specialisation is predominantly around nutrition and sleep, um, especially for shift workers. So, okay, I mean, yeah. we've done uh, multiple workshops together as well, and, and her and I recorded a podcast, a webinar as well. So that's also okay, on there. that's on Just the website. Just to really, yeah, start looking at this connection because I think nutrition is – one of the key players yeah. um, in here. And, you know, obviously I'm not a nutritionist, so, you know, I can't go into too much detail because I'm not qualified to. But, um, you know, there is definitely, you know, that connection psychologically with the food and the mood. Um, you know, exercise. Yeah, check that out. They sound and, great. Yeah, it's um, exercise too, like, you know, moving your body. We're not designed to be sitting still you know mm -hmm. certainly you know exercise can release endorphins make you feel good um you know you can get endorphins released you know from other means not just exercise but finding an exercise routine that you enjoy I will be the first to admit I'm not a gym junkie I don't enjoy exercise um but I bundle that um you know and, and partner it with another activity so you know if I think okay if I want to maybe listen to um you know a pure animal podcast episode um you know then maybe I can put that on and listen to it while I'm out walking my dog yeah. so I'm sort of doing that temptation bundling <laughs> yeah exactly but it's in, it's pairing activities together so it, I don't love going out for a walk all the time but if I'm listening to music or a podcast and I'm spending time with my dog then yeah. I try and pair those together so it's like I've got something positive to motivate me to get out there and yeah, do that that's great you know so but again it's finding something you enjoy I'm not going to say you need to join the gym because I don't go to the gym um you know but I do exercise in ways that work for me um you yeah, know it's so got to be sustainable Pardon? It's got to, if you don't enjoy something, it's not going to be sustainable. So it's got Definitely. to be something that you enjoy and that fits into your daily life uh, rather exactly. than you know, having to get up and drive half an hour. And, yes. And, yeah. and there, there's so many things that you can do from home. Like I know, you know, particularly in a lot of the lockdowns where people were restricted, they couldn't go to the gym or their classes in the park that they used to go to. Um, you know, but there are different apps, you know, that you can do, you know, walk at home apps, you know, run by qualified people or I think some of the gyms and the trainers were putting on online classes. Yeah, heaps, yeah. Um, you know, you, yeah, you can work, you know, I work with an exercise physiologist, um, Michaela, who's also on one of the webinars as well where we talk about exercise, um, you know, to have a program on resistance training. You can do that at home. Yeah. You know, you can do your wall push-ups. You don't need to have your all your gym equipment yeah, to do it. Yeah, cans. <laughs> Just, yeah, exactly. Or like little hand weights, you know. Yeah. My hand weights cost me a couple of dollars yeah. from Kmart. But they're awesome. You know, I love doing resistance work. So they're the kind of things or walking around your house or, you know, just Being getting the body moving. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's part of it. But also then, you know, looking after your mental health as well as your physical health as well. You know, having having boundaries 
doing things you enjoy, you know, having your hobbies. You know, if you enjoy reading, well, set aside time to do some reading, you know, and yeah. just have those pleasurable activities, you know, ideally as part of your everyday routine. But, you know, maybe every second or third day or, you know, at a minimum once a week um, to be able to really bring that in and put yourself first, yeah. you know, as well as yep. everything else going on. And um, there, yeah, there's some really actionable ways that people can, and it might not seem while you're doing it that it's making a difference, but it's the accumulation yes. of doing things like that every day. And it starts to give you a feeling like you are taking care of yourself and you are worthy. And then maybe that might help you find the confidence to keep your boundaries and to say no. And it's sort of a, a knock-on effect that probably takes, I would say, a little while to, to really start to mm. notice the difference sometimes. Um, absolutely absolutely worthwhile things to do yeah but it's looking at your reason for doing it your motivation for doing it you know and really tuning into your values if you value good health you know what does that mean for you then what can you do to honor that you know and acting in line with those values yeah and I would hate to think that anyone doesn't value their own health. <laughs> That'd be, yes. yeah, it's imperative, really. I think everyone absolutely. needs to, yeah. Um, absolutely. So, what happens when someone who is stressed, how does stress become burnout? And what does burnout mm-hmm. look like? And if someone is feeling this way, what is your advice for them? Yep. So, well, stress. Typically, um, it's a little bit different to anxiety, but it can be a precursor to anxiety. It could be a precursor to depression. Um, stress really is about when the demands that are placed on you are greater than your ability to cope with them. And we all have our own threshold. You know, So my threshold for stress will be different to yours mm-hmm. and will be different to someone else's and vice versa. And, you know, what stresses me out may not stress you out. So, you know, seeing, you know, something really gory in the theatre in the hospital would probably have me passed out on the floor. <laughs> Whereas you as a vet, you're probably like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, loving it. Yeah, yeah, the gorier the better. Um, you know, but maybe public speaking might be something you go, there's no way I could speak in front of all these people that's stressing me out. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll get out there, bread no and butter. At all. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we all have our different levels of stress and what stress us out, um, you know. But knowing what our stressors are is crucial. Um, we need to know what are the things that stress us out, so that we can try and be prepared and be proactive rather than reactive. Knowing our symptoms. So how do we feel when we're stressed? You know, I know for me, when I'm stressed, I start to feel sick. Um, but I know this sounds weird, but it's a different kind of sick. (laughs) It's like that tenseness, you know, that's that churning of the stomach, not the kind of sick that like when you've, you've got gastro or, um, you know, when you've eaten too much of something that you shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And it's just like, oh, this is just like that uneasy kind of feeling. It's like, oh, I just feel off. Um, you know, that's what it feels like for me. And, the irritability kicks in. Yes, um, you know, I have that too. Less, yeah, less tolerant. You drop <laughs> yeah. your keys, you stub your toe, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to Great scream. on your partner all the time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. And they're usually the days you get every red light on the way to, yeah. you know, wherever you're you going. You feel and you angry. Yeah. And yes, it just builds up. You know, it's just like that really horrible feeling. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we can be stressed without being anxious. Anxious is more the worry. 
side mm-hmm. of things or, you know, that fear of something happening mm-hmm. um, or there's, a, you know, some good acronyms for fear, false evidence appearing real is one of my mm-hmm. favourites. Um, I haven't heard that. That's there was good. another one that I read. Yeah. Uh, another one I read, um, what was it, face, face everything and react or something or face everything yeah. and run. Yeah, uh, everything and run. So, you know, there's different acronyms for it, but essentially anxiety, you know, is that worry like, oh, my gosh, what if this happens? What if that happens? What will yeah. I do about this? Whereas stress um, would be more, oh, my gosh, there's too much to do. I just I just can't get it done. I feel overwhelmed. Oh, right. So but overwhelm is more stress. I've, I've always would, identified overwhelm with anxiety. But, um, Which it could be. It could yeah. make you feel anxious. That could be yeah. how you respond to it. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like stress is just that, yeah, as I said, the, the, there's too many demands on me to be able to cope with being able to yes, do it. Yes, right. And um, is it sort of more in the also, present moment than like yes. happening right now where the, whereas anxiety you're projecting into the future? Yes, it's usually more around the catastrophe. Yes. Um, around it with anxiety. Um, but it's important to know too that there's still good stress, like you mm. stress is called mm-hmm. good stress, and then the bad stress, the distress. Um, and we need a little bit of both to be able to function. You know, that stress before an exam or before a job interview or if we're going on a date somewhere um, or we're waiting on our home loan application, you know, outcome, it's that kind of stress. But it's like as soon as you have been in that situation, you know, as soon as you've done the exam or got your results or you've gone on your date, it's like, ah, oh, okay, that's gone now. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not, it can be, but it's not necessarily always as long lived, Yeah. but it certainly can be depending on what's going on. And then, um, anxiety, there's functional anxiety and dysfunctional anxiety. So again, we need a little bit of both, but the functional anxiety might be like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I hope that my trip doesn't get cancelled interstate next week yeah. what am I going to do if it does because you know and then the thoughts can can go on it's like and what if I don't get a refund or what if I'm on the plane and someone's yeah. infected and they didn't have their mask and then I happen to touch the seat that they touched and then I come home and now I'm sick and I have to cancel five weeks worth of work and then I can't pay my mortgage and before I know it I'm homeless you know right, sort of like, yeah. what? your brain just <laughs> runs away yeah yeah, like zero to 100, yeah. you know, in 10 seconds. Um, but so that anxiety is typically around that worry, you know, and there's different kinds of anxiety. You know, you can have your um, obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. you know, is a form of anxiety. You can have panic attacks, social anxiety, you know, different fears um, of, of different things, you know, can all be part of that anxiety, you know, Um claustrophobia or agoraphobia, those sorts of things as well, different fears and phobias, you know, can sort of come under that umbrella as well. Mm. Um, And then you have depression, you know, which is depression is more long-lasting than just having the blues or having a bad day. Mm. You know, I think we all have a down day from time to time, whether we're down on ourselves, whether we're just feeling like, oh, just, you know, I feel like the whole world is against me today. I'm just having a feel sorry for me day. Um, You know, we're just things, you know, and we all have those, you know, I have those from time to time, but then it's like, yep, okay, I'm just having a day where I just need to switch off, step out away from the world and just, you know, have my own space. But then it's like, right, okay, you know, I get a good night's sleep and then the next day I'm back to, you know, my normal wacky self again um <laughs> the depression I say that I can you know I don't take myself too seriously obviously <laughs> but it's you know depression 
is more long lasting. You know, it's not seeing hope for the future. You can't see a way out. It's like, oh my gosh, feeling like you're in the bottom of this big black hole that you can't see a way out of. Mm, so, um, so no forward thinking, a lot of rumination um, about I should have done this. What if I'd only done that? Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we can be really down on ourselves Whereas the anxiety would be more like, what if this happens and what if that happens? And, oh, my goodness, you know, mm. anxiety tends to be more around the catastrophizing yep. and depression tends to be more around the rumination. The past, yeah. um, you know, and we can have all of them going on um, or we may just have one or two of them going on as well. And I think the underlying thing is our level of resiliency, mm. uh, you know, so how resilient we are to all of these demands that are placed on us um, and our level of coping. You know, how, how do we cope? Like some of us are really good at coping with things and others are not so good at all. Mm. So I think all of those things have a play in it. Um, certainly there, you know, some some theories suggesting a lot of it is genetic yeah. as well. So you yep. can see a lot of anxiety and depression run in families, um, which can be a learned behaviour as well, okay. particularly, you know, if you've grown up in a family where, you know, one or both of the parents deal with everything by catastrophizing um, and being anxious and irritable, then that can become a learned behaviour. Yeah, you don't know sense. any different. So, you know, there are a lot of different contributing factors to it, as well as what we said earlier around the food and the mood connection. Um, you know, certainly there's, you know, some really overwhelmingly good research coming out um, and that connecting food with, you know, some of these psychological disorders. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I will link to those amazing webinars on your website for, for listeners to check out and I'm definitely going to check them out myself because I'm super interested. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and they're all completely free. So, yeah, you know, that's a whole great. Range of them. So wonderful. Whole range Thank of you them. so much for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. So what sort of happens um, is – is burnout when everything just all sort of happens to an extent where there's the the person almost just gets what's what am I trying to say like fatigued by the stress and the anxiety and the depression and there's nowhere else for them to go and they sort of just can't function as they normally would is that I don't yeah, really know too much it, about it yeah and and there's um I guess compassion fatigue and burnout get mixed up quite yeah, okay. a bit um, because a lot of the symptoms overlap, um, you know, between compassion yeah. fatigue and burnout. Typically, but not always, burnout will take longer um, to okay. come in, whereas compassion fatigue can happen quite quickly. Okay. But in saying that, it depends on, again, your level of coping, your resilience and your level of exposure to the things that are burning you out. Okay. You know, if you're someone who has got really – fantastic coping skills, super resilient, and maybe you're only working in the clinic one day a week and exposed to the stress one day a week, it may take longer for you to become burnout, uh, burnt out as opposed to someone with low resilience, very low coping skills who is working five or six days a week mm. and exposed to all of these pressures. Yeah. Um, again, not always, but, you know, when you sort of compare the two, um, compassion fatigue is more just that fatigue from having to be so compassionate. It's like physical fatigue. You know, you've run a marathon um, and then imagine if you had five minutes rest and you had to go and run a marathon all over again because yeah. they, they forgot to time everyone. Or <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, I just can't do it. You know, when you're exhausted and then it's like 
now I've got to keep going, yeah. you know, without having a rest. It just, you know, it's fatigue. Just again, like physical fatigue, but it's more the psychological the mental, fatigue. Yeah. Um, burnout can be a little bit different. Um, and, and I've been through burnout before in different oh, okay. jobs that I've had. Um, you know, for different reasons. Um, I've been burnt out because of work overload. Okay. Um, so a, a job that I was working in in academia where just the demands and the pressures that we had were unrealistic. You know, mm-hmm. it was just too much. And, you know, for me, again, I noticed everything in my gut. That's where all, you know, the seat of all emotion. Yeah. Um, that's where I, I definitely noticed it there. And so I would notice just feeling sick at the thought of going in for work. And then you can become resentful. You become cynical to things. It's like, this is ridiculous how we have to do this. Why should yeah. we have to do this? Yeah. It's like saying, you know what, I'm spent. I just can't do this anymore. You're not necessarily having that fatigue per se. It's just, just like, lose I'm done. It's, yes. Yeah. I'm not burnt out because I've had to be so compassionate, even though I could be. Um, I'm just burnt out because I'm working these ridiculously long hours. I'm not getting a break. Everyone's yelling at me and abusing me. Um, I'm questioning my own abilities. The pressures are just too much. I just, I can't deal with it anymore. It's just too much. Um, Right. So so people are a little more aware that they are becoming burnt out, it seems, if they're, mm-hmm. they're sort of almost making a conscious choice, like, I can't do this anymore, I'm stepping out. No, nah, not yes. doing it. And I think it's looking at what's going on around you. You know, if you're wondering, you know, is this compassion fatigue or is it burnout? Um, because as I said, a lot of the symptoms do overlap. Mm. I'd be looking at, okay, how long has this been going on? Am I noticing it in every situation at work or only in certain things. Mm -hmm. So it may be that you have compassion fatigue towards performing euthanasia, but you're quite okay doing a desexing procedure or a dental procedure or vaccination or general health check. Um, So it's like, okay, maybe I'm just compassion fatigued out with having to deal with the death and dying aspect of it. Um, But burnout would be like, I just can't face any of it. I just, the thought of even going into work full stop just makes me feel too sick. overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you can sort of break it down. Um, and like I like to look at things very functionally, um, you know, and break things down and go, okay, well, what's going on here? Where did it start? What's going on? What are some of the belief systems that are happening? What are some of the triggers? Um, you know, and if you're feeling okay at home or when you're not at work, but the thought of going to work can make you feel offish, that can be another sign. Again, it could be either. Mm. Um, this is actually my, what my happened own... to me, to be honest. This is yep. this is the way I was. I used to turn around a certain corner going to work mm-hmm. and I'd immediately yes. just feel sick, like I was going to vomit. Sick, yes. And, yes. Then, and I... then spend the first hour kind of recovering from that feeling. <laughs> it was yes. horrible every day. And sometimes, yeah, absolutely. That was what I had. And then, yeah. then I used to resent the drive to work. And why would I why should I have to fight against all this traffic? This is ridiculous. And then, you know, you can start dragging other people into it as well, which mm. certainly isn't helpful to do. Um, you know, because you are cynical, you're resentful. Yeah. Um, you've just you just burned out, you've just had enough. It's like um, you know, when you are stressed and you've just had enough, you know, imagine you've just moved house in one day, um, you know, at the end of the day you go, 
oh, my God, I'm done. Like, yeah. no one talked to me. Don't yep. even come near me. Yep. I'm done. Or you've wrankled your um, toddler f- all day. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they go to bed yes. and you're done. Yes. It's like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, do not cry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't deal. I need at least three hours sleep. <laughs> then I might exactly. be able to. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if someone yeah, is feeling this way, what do they do? Do they actually, it's the best thing for them to leave? their job or take a break? Um, I I generally suggest having some time away from it to yeah. see is it the job? Yeah. Um, is it the workplace? You know, like what is causing it? Is it because they're working in a toxic workplace with yeah, other okay. people? Yeah. Is it because there's something to do with the work or the work demands? Um, or is it because there's this ambiguity around what their job's supposed to entail? Yeah. Um, you know, because that role ambiguity can be a source of stress as well. Um, so I'd really start looking and breaking it down to say, okay, what's actually going on? Um, stepping away from work. And if they feel okay outside of work, to me, that's usually a pretty clear indication that there's something going on in the workplace that is having an effect, you know, and then the challenge is working out, okay, mm. what actually is it? Yeah. Um, the thought of going back to work, particularly with burnout, the thought of going back there, it usually just makes you feel even sicker. Yeah. Um, you know, that was certainly some of the things that I've found in my yeah, experience. Me too, um, yeah. Yeah, just um, whereas compassion fatigue, it's like I just need a break from it. You need a And recharge. maybe I have two weeks off and then I'm like, no, I'm feeling really motivated again. I can do this. I'm fine now. Yeah, okay. I just needed yeah. to have a break from that. You know, so again, there's some very subtle differences. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, absolutely, you know, talking to somebody first, like speaking with a professional to identify, I guess, is this compassion fatigue? Is it burnout? Are you stressed? Is there depression kicking in? really to try and find out what's going on, you know, because there are lots of different things that you can do. Um, But stepping away from it and then once you've had time off, even, you know, again, this would be in a perfect world. It may not always be possible, but cutting down your hours, you know, if you're working full time, it might be arranging with your employer, can I just come back in and do some suitable duties, you know, or light duties a couple of days a week, you know, just to be able to reintroduce myself back into the workplace Mm. and build yourself back up. And if that's too overwhelming, then you might either need longer off work or maybe it is, you know, time to be looking at maybe some other work options. Because again, it it might not be the job itself. It could be the nature of the workplace as well. And that's what I mean, you know, like I've worked in places, I've, you know, where I've been burnt out where I've loved the job. But the people I've worked with have just made it unbearable. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, you know, so d- that toxicity, that, that yeah. conflict, yeah, it's it's really breaking it down. So, you know, because I guess there's, there's not really one clear thing to say this is why it's happening. Mm. Um, but also being proactive. Um, and I know we were talking about some of the positive psychology mm. side of things because I think – um, you know, it's it's important to note that not everyone in the profession is struggling. Some people yeah, are loving people what love they're it. doing. Yeah. yeah. And so how do we maintain that? And that's why I love that positive psychology side of things, um, you know, which is about looking for the positive things that are going on, the positive things in you or in life or in your situation. 
instead of just buying into all the not so good things because you know if I said to everyone okay you know for the next half an hour just write a list of all the things you don't like about your life or yourself (laughs) or your workplace you know you're like oh my gosh yeah only half an hour I could write a book on this (laughs) Uh, but if you said what are all the things you love about your life or that you love about your job or, you know, all the positive things going on. They might be going, oh, my gosh, it's probably only going to take me two minutes to write that out. Sad, isn't um, it? But, yeah, but they're just as valid. So, you know, the, the good stuff's still there. We just need to break down all of the negativity to be able to, to get there and dig deep. Mm. Um, but, you know, for someone who is thriving and loving it and even um, – I guess depends on the where somebody is at. If someone is struggling psychologically, I would obviously be looking at a lot of the coping skills first, but then I also like to bring in some of the strategies from positive psychology just to enhance, you know, that well-being and supplement it. If someone's feeling really good, I'm also a huge believer in coping strategies regardless, um, but maintaining it, you know, which is that positive psychology. And, um, you know, there were these really quick and easy things um, that you can do these five pillars of um, positive psychology that the theory behind it is that you know these five things are the things that contribute to our well-being and if any of them are missing we may not really have that full sense of well-being so um, it's an acronym called PERMA okay which stands for um, positive emotions, which is the P. And that's, um, you know, being able to incorporate positive emotions into your daily life. A positive emotion could be something like love, joy, serenity, gratitude, happiness, uh, contentment, you know, those things that bring or evoke a positive emotion. So if you think if you're, you know, watching a movie that makes you laugh, you know, like laughter, that's a positive yeah, emotion that yeah. makes you feel good. Some people might be relaxing or they might be just, you know, enjoying a sunrise or a sunset. That makes them feel good. So it's trying to find any of those positive emotions and we want to be able to do those, you know, daily if we can, you know, and try and embed them into our daily lives so that we're really harnessing those. The E stands for engagement. Um, engagement is like when you're totally engrossed in something and you lose all track of time. So for yeah, some so people like it flow. could be being at work. Yeah, yeah, which leads to that state of flow, um, you know, because that state of flow is, is, is said to enhance our level of well-being. And with positive psychology, you can – get engaged through using your character strengths. Um, You know, so there's 24 character strengths there. And then, you know, what they suggest is really looking at your top five initially and using those character strengths in a different way each day. Okay. um, To really build on those. I like to say, you know, don't just stop at your top five, keep on going. Um, You know, but maybe your, your, your key character strength, like mine's hope and optimism, um, or it might be humor and playfulness or creativity. So using those things like being creative in different ways each day Mm. can enhance your level of engagement, which can get into that state of flow, which can increase your well-being. That's great. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're also, again, quick and easy. Um, the R stands for relationships or positive relationships. And this is about understanding that we're probably, or I, I, I would say the most of us, we're not going to have a positive relationship with every single person we know or meet or come across. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the reality. 
but it's about nurturing those relationships that we do have. Um, you know, whether that's with our partners, our families, our loved ones, our work colleagues, our friends, our social network, um, but just having those relationships with people that are positive. Yeah. Um, it may not be your partner. It may not be someone in your family. It could be your work colleague um, who's got your back. Um, it's like someone once said to me, who's your 2 a.m. person? You know, yeah. who's that person that you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning and you know you they'll up. be there for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and my theory is it's not about the quantity of people, yeah. it's about the quality. Um, you know, so if you've got one person who you know has got your back, well, then that that can still make a positive difference yeah. um, rather than having 100 people you know and none of them would be there for you. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, so really nurturing those positive relationships. Um, and then the M stands for meaning. This is like your meaning and purpose. What are we here for? What do we want to accomplish? You know, what's our mission in life? And this is something that I've seen people struggle with, mm. um, particularly when I had my private practice. It was the one thing out of the PERMA um, concept that people struggled with. They were like, I don't know. What am I here to do? I don't mm. know. What is my meaning and purpose? I know I like to help people or maybe I want to save animals or maybe I want, you know, to help people look their best and have great hairstyles. I don't know what is my meaning and purpose. And does this have and to be around what you do for work or can it be no, in your life no. as a whole? Um, it, for some people it may be their work, um, but it can also be what you do outside of work. Mm. So it could be that, you know, maybe I'm working in this particular job here and that might be my career, but my passions are really with saving wildlife mm. or you know, the environment or something like that. So I might be able to do that in a voluntary thing. So it's like my work is one thing, but what I'm really passionate about is this. Mm. Um, so, again, it's a, a really, I guess, easy way of thinking or helping to get to find out what your meaning is, is to think of something that you would do for free. Mm-hmm. That usually tells you what what your meaning and purpose is connected to. So for me, um, you know, helping animals, Absolutely. And helping people. Um, so now, right you know, job. it's taken me decades <laughs> to find out my meaning and purpose yeah. because I always felt something was missing. Um, you know, even when I first became a psychologist, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, this work, yes, it's meaningful, but I guess I wasn't feeling fulfilled um, from doing it. It was like something's missing until I got into doing the work that I'm doing now, you know, with the vet profession and the suicide prevention. Now I'm like, this is what I'm here for. Yeah, you know, this is what, yes, it, you know, does my head in sometimes. <laughs> it can be <laughs> challenging. But, you know, at the end of the day, I know that this is my meaning and purpose, you know. And yep. as I said, it took me decades to find that out. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's really what are those things? You know, for some people it might be, oh, I'd go out and plant plant trees in nature and, you know, do all of this kind of stuff. That might be my meaning and purpose, even though I'm working as a vet nurse. Yeah. Um, for others, it might be my meaning and purpose is saving animals and giving them quality of life. Yeah. Awesome. So it doesn't have to be connected to the job. Yeah. And it may be for some people that just because they're working in this profession now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be their meaning and purpose. Yeah. Their I meaning and purpose could be in a different career altogether, and yeah. that's totally okay. Yeah. Got to be honest um, with yourself. Absolutely. Um, and then the A is that accomplishment or achievement. And this is about 
accomplishing things purely for the sake of it. Um, it's not about saying, okay, I have to do a PhD and then I have to fly to the moon, then I have to do this, then I have to do that. It doesn't have to be big. It can be little things like getting your washing hung out and dry, yeah. um, doing, doing your Taking gardening, your getting leaves. your groceries yeah. done. Simple things. You know, for some people it's accomplishment just getting out of bed each day, you know, yeah. going to work and coming home. But it's having those small little goals, those things that you can accomplish because they're the kind of things that make us start feeling good. You know, it's like, oh, I set out to do this today and I actually did it yeah. and that feels really good. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, when you've got a to-do list and you haven't Yeah, I'm just thinking about like, this, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you Ticking feel like, off. oh, my gosh. Yeah, it feels good when you do Dance. that. But when you don't accomplish anything, you're like, feel like oh, my gosh, I just feel like, yeah, I've wasted the day. Yeah. You know, and I actually had a, a funny story, just as a side note, with a friend of mine who had a day like that where she had a full to-do list and she achieved absolutely nothing and by the end of the day, she said, I feel so bad, I have to tick something off my list. So she actually thought about what, what she'd done. have I done yeah. today. Yeah, and she said, I I've sat done on this. the couch, <laughs> yep, I drank coffee, I watched TV. So she wrote she put it on, on. purely, yeah, purely to cross them off again. I'm like, love I that. I love it. I may have done that myself. I have definitely times. done that. Like, yes, yep. <laughs> but again, it's that sense of accomplishment. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be mind-blowing things you know, like learning how to cook another food or it just can be simple Cooking things like tidying yeah. your desk drawer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, oh, so those good to five know. things together, again, are said to, you know, enhance our level of well-being. And, again, quick and easy, you know, yeah, not necessarily great. going to cost you money to do either, yeah. which is I've another bonus. all that down. It's um, wonderful. Yeah, but, the, yeah, the PERMA concept. I mean, you can Google this sort of stuff as well. It's, you know, all over the internet with perma. Yeah, you know, but it's good having you explain it. Makes it more doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah, sort of easy to understand. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know that forms part of our self care. Yeah, you know, definitely. making sure that we're having our time out, you know, and doing the things that we enjoy, having our leisure time, and having that work life balance, which mm. isn't just fifty fifty. Work life balance could be sixty forty or seventy thirty. It's the balance that works for you, you know, and we're all individuals. So it's finding out some people it doesn't work well to work full time and have hardly any time at home. Other yeah. people it works fine. Yeah. Some people are better at working longer hours and they may not want as much time in their leisure leisure time. If that works for them and it's not causing them any problems, then so be it. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's finding a balance that is healthy and that works for you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. Yes, and I, um, I'm going to start to implement these in my own life, I think. I, love it. <laughs> I hope everyone else is feeling the same. Very inspiring. Um, well, no, I, I hate to sort of, um, you know, change tact a little bit here, but mm. I, Something that I did, given that it's a, um, you know, a strength of yours and something that you are passionate about working in and preventing, mm -hmm. I did want to take the opportunity to talk about suicide with you. Yes. Um, and what your research findings did expose in relation to suicide in the veterinary industry and how the industry and pet parents can support vets to reduce 
this incredibly devastating outcome, which unfortunately is more common in this industry than others, which we've talked about. Yes. Um, yeah. I just really, yeah, I, I guess it's a difficult thing to discuss, but I feel like it's important not to just brush it under the rug and pretend it's not there because it is there. And Absolutely. if we can, if there's people listening who are working with, um, with those at risk or they're at risk themselves, then I feel it's important to give it some light. So I'd love to hear your um, your sort of thoughts and mm-hmm. your advice. Yes, yeah, totally agree. Um, you know, and I think sadly there are myths out there that if you talk about suicide, it will encourage people to suicide. You know, they're, they're just myths. Mm. Um, you know, and I think you know, obviously, I am probably desensitised to discussions um, around suicide and yeah. working in suicide prevention because this is what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say obviously, you know, I'm not sure if it was this podcast or the podcast that we did um, last month where, you know, we're, we're talking about the reason I got into this work was because of the suicide of my cousin yes. um, who, who wasn't a vet but nonetheless his suicide had a massive impact. And, you know, the work that I do now is really – leaving a legacy for him um, because it's raising awareness. So I know what it's like to lose someone to suicide. I've worked with suicidal clients before. Um, Touch wood, fortunately, you know, I haven't lost a client to suicide and I hope that I never do. Um, But, you know, the harsh reality, and I I don't mean this to sound cold or um, uncaring in any way, but, you know, looking at it from the facts perspective, if somebody is adamant that they want to take their life, then they'll find a way to do it. So we may be able to prevent it today or tomorrow or next week, but if they really want to do it, then they will find a way to do it. And we have to remember that it's their choice. Just because it's not a choice that we would make or we understand, it doesn't mean that we're advocating for it. We don't have to like it. Um, But it's still that person's choice. And it is obviously extremely tragic, um, you know, that someone feels that that is the The only only way that they can get through whatever it is that they're going through at the time. Um, It is still a decision that they make. And when somebody is in that place, they're not of rational mind. So when you're talking about suicide, I guess it's like euthanasia in the vet industry, um, you know, is a form of treatment as traumatic Mm -hmm. as it can be for some people. When we're looking at suicide, it is an option. It's not an option that we want to put there on the list of options that we want people to do, but it is an option for someone who Mm -hmm. is going through something that is bigger than their ability to cope with it. So, you know, they may be going through this complete overwhelm and thinking, what can I do? I could quit my job. I could talk to my doctor. I could see a psychologist. um, I could talk to my partner. I could kill myself. I could just take (sighs) a break and go on holidays. Oh, hang on a minute. That one is guaranteed to take away all the pain, assuming that... I complete the suicide, Um, you know, because some people don't realise, well, what happens if you're not successful in that? Um, And certainly, and I know that this, you know, is triggering and without trying to trigger people too much, I have had clients that have been in that place, you know, that have said, um, this is how I'll do it, um, but I want to make sure that this person doesn't find me. Um, And But the reality checking isn't there. And that's, you know, obviously when you're talking to someone else that can bring the reality checking in, you know, and this one particular client where I said, well, 
you live with that person. So what are the chances that they are going to be the person who finds you? And they were like, oh, I didn't think of that. Mm. Um, so again, you know, because again, not a rational mind. It's just I need to escape this pain or whatever I'm dealing with. And this is one way that I think will be the best place. Whereas for those of us who are rationally minded, that still could be an option when we're dealing with overwhelm and all the pressures. But the the rational part of us said, yeah, that's an option, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Maybe I'll do this instead. So again, you know, it's, I totally understand how someone can get to that point. Um, you know, but actually going through with it is a whole other story, you know, and there are lots of people out there, you know, oh, suicide's the coward's way out. And I remember my dad saying to my auntie, um, you know, his his sister, who's um, Andrew, was, was her son, um, and, you know, she said that, you know, oh, he's taken the coward's way out. And my dad said, I don't know. I'd never have the guts to do it. And yeah. it's when you're so right, Dan. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes a lot of courage. Actually go, yeah. yeah, but I think, unfortunately, in the vet profession, you know, where a lot of people are dealing with death and dying every day, you see it end suffering. Yeah generally have the means to the ends yeah. it's a little bit of a different ball game because it's this perception that well I've seen what you know euthanasia can do and it's ended the pain and suffering but without looking at the impact that that has on the rest of the yeah. you know the owner's family or carers you know who have brought it in and certainly there was some research on that a few years ago um, around the incidents or how many euthanasias you perform as a potential protective factor um, because you see the impact that it has oh, on other really? people um, yeah I did quote that in my own <sighs> research I think it might have been uh, Macquarie Macquarie University maybe okay. um, I'd have it anyway to be in, in all my references and yeah, I've, I've wow. got the study there yeah. um, and I can't remember exactly whether the hypothesis was supported or not that's I have so a interesting it isn't it wasn't yes but it was an, an interesting perspective um, but it's just because you know the, again some of these myths around you know if someone talks about it it means that they're not serious um Another myth, uh, people talk about it, still do it. People yeah. talk about it and don't do it. Um, for me, any talk of suicide, I take seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, the fact that someone's even mentioned that, if it's, you know, for themselves or someone that, that they know, not just, you know, talking about in conversation that, uh, you know, we heard of another suicide. Um, you know, if someone was saying, I'm feeling like this or I know someone who is, that's what I'd be taking seriously. Yeah. Um, and it's particularly in this profession as far as um, here in Australia, you know, veterinarians are up to four times more likely than the general population to suicide and twice as likely as other health professionals to suicide. Um, across the globe, um, there's different statistics for males versus females. Um, I think, don't quote me on this, I think in the US it was males up to like two to two and a half times more likely than the population. And I think females were like three to three and a half times okay. the population. Um, there are other countries where it's up to four times as well. Right. Um, you know, it's so these are huge. These are disproportionately high yeah. rates of suicide. Um, you know, but breaking down some of those myths, knowing what to do, we do have a handout on that. Um, just trying to think which of the, which of the websites it's on, but I can track it down anyway. Yeah, uh, where we did a handout, um, I actually did a webinar with um, Dr. Dave Nichol in the UK, um, talking on you know what you can do if someone discloses. Um, yeah. You know, again, 
the, the first thing I'd be looking at is the imminent risk. You know, have they got a plan? Do they know how they're going to do it, when they're going to do it, where they're going to do it? You know, the, the more that someone ticks all of those boxes, the more high risk they may be. Um, so I'd be looking at that, but, you know, your own safety is paramount. You know, if you're with someone and they are disclosing that they're feeling suicidal, then you need to make sure that you are safe first and foremost, you know, depending on the method that, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, but if it's safe to do so, you know, making sure that you're you're getting that support in, whether that is calling for an ambulance, whether it is calling for that person's support people or other co-workers to provide that, that imminent support, you know, not leaving them alone. Um, but I really think, you know, the more that we're having these discussions around well-being mm -hmm. and being proactive and looking after ourselves, ideally we want to start seeing the, the rate of suicide going down, yeah. um, you know, because that is a reactive response. We want to be proactive so people don't feel like they're in that place yeah. as well. Um, you know, normalising those conversations and, you know, and I have heard of where there has been suicides within the profession and, you know, different organisations have said we are not discussing this, no one is to talk about it. And it yeah, gets it's not right. swept away. Yeah. I agree. It's not right, you know, because what message does that send to everyone else? Yeah. That there's shame in doing it, that it's, it's a bad thing to yeah. do, that we, we, yeah, we can't talk about how we're feeling. Yeah. We want to encourage these discussions so people can get the help so that it doesn't come to that. Yeah. So, you know, again, normalising discussions of stress and burnout and depression and, um, you know, having these conversations as difficult as they may be, but checking in on each other, you know, asking each other, how are you? Are you okay? You know, or noticing their behaviour, like really looking at some of the red flags that might be going on if someone's behaviour changes or it's uncharacteristic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't just, just brush it off. Or on the other hand, you know, if someone has typically been quite down and depressed and then all of a sudden starts to feel and mm. come across as really happy, a lot of people go, oh, they're feeling okay now. Um, but that could just That's mean that they're flag. at peace with the decision that yeah. they've made to take their lives. So, yeah. you know, like always I think it's just having that open dialogue and that's, you know, that communication is just so important um, that people feel that they can reach out to someone and talk and get that help, you yeah. know, and it's such a sign of strength to do so. It is. And that's that's a really nice way to, I think, wrap up our two-part discussion on this incredibly important topic. Yeah. And I couldn't think of a better guest to have on the podcast. Oh. It's been Thank an you. emotional roller coaster for me. And I hope all of our listeners have got as much out of it as I have. It's mm. you're incredible. The work you're doing is Thank life changing you. and and it's really uh, obvious to me that this is your passion because it just exudes from from everything yes. you say. <laughs> I get a little bit vocal about it from no, time it's, to time. <laughs> the, it's perfect. It's perfect for a podcast and I, um, I've i loved having you as our guest, Nadine. Yes, so. uh, thank you so much. <laughs> and I guess just, you know, because we did end the conversation talking about suicide, which could be triggering to people, um, you know, just to say that there are helplines on our oh, Love Your Pet, you. Love Your Vet website. Yes. Um, but obviously, you know, you've got Lifeline Beyond 
Blue, talking to your GP, talking to a counsellor, a psychologist, EAP, if you have that in the workplace. Um, but there are helplines um, on our homepage, top left-hand corner, there is a little button and it will take you to all the helplines if you, you. Um, need that support. That or, in. of course, you know, you're welcome to get in touch with us and we're happy to point you in the right direction. Amazing. Thank you again, Nadine, and um, we'd no, love to welcome. have you back again one day. Yes, thank you so much. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you feel that today's episode is important to share with those that you love, please hop onto iTunes and give us a rating and review.